Greetings and welcome to Shnayim Mikra, the podcast series developed and sponsored by the Orthodox Union, hosted here at OU.org. In each one of these podcasts, we read, translate, and analyze and discuss one of the aliyot from the current week's parashat. My name is Yitzchak Et Shalom. It's been a delight to be studying parashat Balak with you this week. And now we come to the close of parashat Balak, the final aliyah, which begins in chapter 24, parak Chavdalad. Uh, Pasuk Yod Dalid. Uh, and as I mentioned in uh, several of the earlier podcasts, each one of the six aliyot that we've covered till now ends with the same message. And it's unique among parshiot to be so consistent, and it's deliberately established that way by the Masoretes. And that the Balei Masora who established the, more or less, uh, with some flexibility, the ending of the aliyot. And that is that the message is whatever God says, I am bound by. And the person saying that all six times is Bil'am. Uh, now, in Pasuk Yodawad, Bil'am is about to part after failing his mission. And he says as follows, This is in chapter 24, verse 14. Uh, 24, verse 14. And now I'm going back to my nation, which is going to be strange because he'll end up not going back to his nation, as we'll see. Now I will advise you what this nation will do to your nation at the end of days. The simple read of this text is not so simple. The simple read of the passage is that I will advise you here should be understood more to be I'll prophetically tell you. This is what this nation is going to do to your nation at the end of days. The way that it is read midrashically is, I will give you counsel, and there's a reason for this because of a verse later in in Matot, uh, that I will give you counsel as to what you should do to this nation, and then the end of days becomes a, sort of a tag-on or a, a non-sequitur, because this is the advice that Bilam gives uh, regarding, and we'll get to it in the second half of the Aliyah, regarding the promiscuity. However, the simple read of this is that he's now going to utter prophecy regarding the end of days and how Am Yisrael will interact with Moab and other nations. And then he speaks his parable, and if you've got to be Balak, you've got to be filled with dread at this point. We've already heard that pasuk. Neum, meaning the speech of Shomea Imrael, and now a new phrase, He knows God's mind. It's a way of saying he's a prophet. <clears throat> Chazal pick up on that phrase and caustically say, He doesn't even know what his own animal knows. How could he know Dat Elyon? And they explain how they explain. But simple the read of this here is, he's a prophet. <laughs> he sees God, sees the visions of God, and he falls with his eyes open. <clears throat> Again, we've seen that before. And now, the prophecy. I will see him, but not now. Ashurenu velo karov. And this goes back to the first prophecy. I will see him from the top of mountains as if he's looking now. But now he's saying that same piece, but I will see him, but not now. I'll see him from a distance, but not nearly. Meaning, there's a vision that's now far into the future. Darach kochav mi Yaakov. A star will shoot forth from Yaakov. Vekam shevet mi Israel. Again, Yaakov and Israel as the pair. A staff will rise up mi Israel. Umachatz pate Moab. It will smash the edges of Moab. 
Vikarkar, which is a play on the town of Karkor in Moab, Kol Shait. It will destroy all of them. In other words, Am Yisrael is going to rise up and destroy all of you guys. So as opposed to what we had till now, which was a beautiful blessing of how, how gorgeous Am Yisrael is, what a beautiful nation they are, and how nobody better mess with them, now they're going to mess with you. Vaya Adom Yeresha, Edom will become their inheritance. Vaya Yeresha Seir Oivav, Yisrael Osachayel. In the meantime, Yisrael is going to be successful in making fortune while everybody else is destroyed. Parenthetically, Dorach Kochav Mi Yaakov was the verse that Rabbi Akiva applied to Bar Koziba, and that's Bar Kosba, which is why he called him Bar Kochva, and he was really the first one to point to um, current nations around Am Yisrael and identify them with ancient nations who had been lost, in this case Moab, or perhaps now by extension the next Pasuk, Edom, making the connection between Edom and Rome, which later became quite prevalent in uh, in Midrashic development. <clears throat> he will rule from Yaakov and destroy all of the inhabit all of the remnants of the city, all of the uh, ones who remain. And then he starts giving prophecy to the nations he sees around him, whether he physically sees them or sees them prophetically. Vayart Amalek. He sees Amalek. Whether Amalek is there, Amalek is generally in North Sinai, or whether he's giving prophecy about Amalek. Here is his parable. Reshit Goyim Amalek Vachrito Ode Oved. They are the first of the nations. Now, they can't be the first of the nations. The first of the nations are the nations after the flood. He evidently means this is the first nation to stand up and make war against Israel. And their end is going to be destruction. Now he looks and sees the Kenny, and this he can really sing, because these are the Midianites. You have a strong settlement. Put your nest in the cleft of a rock. And there's a play, play on kinim and kan, and, and a uh, nest. And this may mean a lot of different things, but evidently the straight, the one simple reading of it is that if then they clean out the kinim, uh, you will be taken captive all the way to Ashur. Who could live if God pays his attention to him? It seem miyad kitim, and there are ships. Seem, this is where the Israeli ship line comes from. Seem miyad kitim, coming from the kitim, which are in the uh, in the Mediterranean. Ve'inu ashur, ve'inu ever. Kitim, some understand as a reference to the uh, Greek islands or to the Aegean Sea. And they will afflict ashur and ever. And this is seen in the, in the midrash as being a prophecy about the Romans coming and attacking and attacking all the way to Assyria. And indeed, Rome did hold territory all the way to the Euphrates, but never controlled east of the Euphrates, except for collecting tribute. Even though they'll have that control, they will eventually be destroyed. That's the end of his prophecy. Bilam goes home, and Balak goes his way. And this is a literary marker that is second to none in clarity, saying this is the end of a story. And really, this should be the end of the Parsha. We had an entire Parsha devoted to Bilam and Balak's interaction, starting from Balak engaging Bilam, and then Bilam coming to Balak, and then the three failed attempts, and then this final prophecy. But there's one word in what Bilam just said that's going to give us pause and lead to the last few psukim of the Parsha, which are in the 
according to this division, chapter 25, but are a separate parashat mesorah, a separate, separate Masoretic paragraph in the text. And that is that he said, I will advise you. And later on in the text, we find out that Bilam indeed give, did give advice, which was taken and led to a plague among Yisrael, but we'll see that in a few moments. But before moving on, I promised in the beginning of the series of this week that I had something to share in the last Aliyah, um, and that is about uh, Bil'am. Um, we read Tanakh. We're familiar with the story of the Avot. We're familiar with the story of Bnei Yisrael in Mitzrayim and coming out of Mitzrayim and through the Midbar and conquering Eretz Yisrael. And one thing that over the past 150 years we have heard no end of from certain quarters is the fact that there is uh, no evidence to support any of these stories and if these stories are so powerful and these people are so mighty and numerous, don't you think that in the annals of neighboring nations we would have found some evidence to that fact? Well, of course, the canard that absence of evidence is not evidence of absence holds true. Not really a canard, it's a truism. And the fact that we have not found anything doesn't mean that there's not anything there. Uh, in 1967, I believe it was in March of 1967, uh, there were some people digging at a spot which we refer to as Tel Dir Allah, otherwise known as the biblical town of Sukkot in Transjordan. Uh, and I believe that they were um, Danish archaeologists. And they found an ancient Midianite worship site uh, dating back to the 9th or the 8th century BCE. What was most remarkable was that they found on the wall of this worship site, they found an inscription which was recovered um, and had to be reconstructed to some extent, which is known as Sefer Bil'am Bar Ba'or. And it is uh, written in Paleo-Hebrew, in, or in the Paleo-script that we're familiar with, and it represents a evidently a Midianite um, reading that was done at some of their occasions in which uh, Bil'am, the character we know, Bil'am ben Ba'or, who uses many of the same words that appear in our parsha, specifically the name of God Shaddai, which does not appear anywhere else in Bamidbar or Devarim, or Vayikra for that matter, with the exception of the Parshat Bilam, and only appears in Shmot in the context of a reference to Bereshit. Uh, the only other two places that it appears chiefly is Eov and one mentioned in Rut, but it's really not a common name, but it appears in this story several times, Machazeh Shaddai Yechazeh. The name Shaddai is there. And in it, Bilam gives a description of a terrible black night coming and uh, and terrible forces and there's destruction coming. And it almost seems it almost seems clear, I would say, if you read it, knowing Pashat Bilam, it does seem clear that this is the other side of the Bilam story. You know, as we're reading the Bilam story from our perspective and seeing this as a glorious description of Am Yisrael, but think about what Bilam, as somebody who resides in the East and sees Am Yisrael coming as a prophet, would experience. He would experience as a der- terrible dark night and the end of everything that we know. And that's exactly what's written there. It's a, it's a, a fascinating insight that not only gives uh, lots of credence, not that we necessarily need it, but to the story of the text, but gives us an insight into the other side of the story, perhaps, into what the neighboring nations were experiencing as Am Yisrael was, was coming through. Anybody who's interested, there's lots of information available on the net at your local library about Sefer Bil'am Bar Ba'or. Um, and uh, enjoy looking ahead. But in the meantime, we have now the next 
nine psukim that take us to the end of the Parsha, which is now a narrative where, as I mentioned, the spotlight shines for the first time in this Parsha on Am Yisrael, and we are center stage. Vayeshev Yisrael Bashitim. So the Machloket, whether it's really the name of the place, was described after the Shtut that they were involved with. But this is uh, the Shitim, which is north of the Dead Sea on the eastern side. And then the people began to whore after the daughters of Moab. Now if you take a look at this from a perspective of Parshat Bilam, Parshat Bilam describes Am Yisrael in the most glorious, beautiful, devoted to God, God devoted to them, blessed kind of presentation. And here, the first thing we hear about Am Yisrael, when we actually hear about them, is a terrible thing. They whore after Benot Moab. And what does that lead to? The daughters of Moab call the people to worship their god. And so they sat down and ate. And they bowed to their god. And they clung to Baal Peor. Baal Peor is the local god. And God got angry at Yisrael. And this is not the first time we have the Egel. We have the Miraglim, we have Korach, we have parts in Bahalotcha, and I'm going out of order. Uh, we have in Chukat, the anger that, uh, that God had when the people complained about the man and, sent, and he sent the snakes. But this is uh, something of a different cloth. Not necessarily factually, but contextually. When we spent three chapters reading this beautiful story of Am Yisrael, how gorgeous they are from the perspective of a a wizard trying to curse them from the top of the mountain and looking down and seeing what a beautiful nation they are, and then when the camera zooms in close, we see a far different picture. So what does Hashem say to Moshe? Take the leaders of the nation. And hang them up. So kill them, and hang them up in front of facing the sun. And God's anger will subside. And there's several ways to read this. One way is that this killing of the leaders who are evidently responsible for all of this will ease God's anger. The other possibility is that killing them will stop the people, shock them out of uh, out of their orgiastic abandonment of God, and uh, then God's anger will subside. So what happens? Which is an echo back to the Egel. Every man kill his own people, meaning within his own group. Any of the people who connect themselves and cling to Valpor should be killed. And now, amidst all of this chaos, suddenly a Jewish man shows up, he suddenly brings a Midianite girl. And this is not Benoit, this is a Midianite girl. We have not heard from the Midianim since the very beginning of the Parsha. He brings them right in front of Moshe and in front of Israel. Everybody is weeping. Now the Midrash fills in the blanks here. First of all, this entire piece was the Eitzah, the council of Bilam, as we find out later in Parshat Matot, to have the girls whore uh, after B'nai Yisrael, get B'nai Yisrael to whore after them, and that way they, he, they would also be successful in getting them to do Avodah Zarah. And his statement to, that, to, the, uh, to Balak was, their God hates promiscuity. Here's the advice. And it worked, because as you see now, there is killing going on within Am Yisrael of the sinners and as you'll see there's a plague and the confusion and the crying that's going on is evidently due to the paralysis of leadership and what happens we suddenly hear about Pinchas we heard about him back in Parshat Vaera we introduced to him but now we meet this fellow named Pinchas 
who by the way is not a Kohen, he's Ben Arona, Ben Alazab, Ben Arona Kohen, but he's not himself a Kohen because Aharon was made a Kohen along with his four sons and any children they would subsequently have. And now Pinchas uh, sees what's going on, and this again takes us back to the Egel when it was Shevet Levi that stood up and slaughtered even members of their own family who were involved in the Egel. He got up and took a spear in his hand. He went to this Ish Yisrael, right to his inside, to his uh, nether regions. And he skewered both of them. The man and this woman also in her nether regions. In other words, he skewered them right at the point, which means he was evidently engaged in coitus with this woman publicly. She's a Midianite. And there's a paralysis. What do we do? This is the famous case of Boel Aramit Karakanin Poginbo. And what happened? There was a plague. We never heard about this plague before, but there was a plague. Or is a plague the reference to the killing of the people involved in Balpaor? The plague stopped. Pincha stopped the plague. And now we got a record. 24,000 people died as a result. So you contrast these nine psukim, the Avodazara, the paralysis of leadership, the demand that people kill people members of their own tribe who were involved, Pinchas standing up and acting heroically, but in a way that kills people, and uh, and the chutzpah of this man standing up and doing what he does, we don't yet know his identity, we'll only get that in the next parasha. And then this beautiful parasha is filled with some of the most gorgeous poetry, poetry we use in our tefillah, in, in uh, Matovu, and Tron Melechbo, etc., ends with this very despondent note of a plague that kills 24,000. Uh, we will not let that get in the way of our enjoying Parshat Balak and the beauty of Parshat Balak, but of course, at the end of this Parsha, there is a plague, but the plague is stopped. The plague is stopped due to the heroic efforts of Pinchas. One last point to make, just about language, and that is a point that uh, Professor Yud Elitzur Zal Barilan uh, made several times in an article published posthumously used it to explain a different piece, uh, which is that often the Torah and, and Tanakh in, in general will utilize a rare word when it has a word to play with something else in the parasha. So, for instance, how would you say the nether regions of somebody? You might euphemistically say Margalotav. Uh, you might say, um, you might say um, Raglav. You might say in the... In the case of woman Rachma, but to call it Kova, that's a um, an unusual and an unmatched word anywhere in Tanakh to refer to the nether regions. So he suggested that the the reason that this word is used is because a word that appears so many times in Parshat Balak is Kuf Bet to curse. Ma'ekov lo kabo el, I cannot curse. God is not cursed. Kovno Lemisham cursed his people for me, and therefore the text utilizes a word that has the same root, that in this case has a very different meaning, but of course this is also a curse. In other words, it was there, this man taking this Midianite woman and, and sexually connecting with her, El Kovata, which was the curse, but of course Pinchas identifying it and skewering them at that point was a source of the great blessing, which was the ceasing of the Magifan, as we'll learn at the beginning of Parshat Pinchas, uh, a source also of great blessing for Pinchas himself. 
Okay, we've uh, come to the end of this podcast and our study of Parshat Balak. I've had a wonderful week of studying with you, and hopefully these podcasts will help you enjoy and appreciate uh, Parshat Balak in greater depth. Have a great Shabbat.